Hey everybody, welcome back to Studio HFL. I'm Larry Powell, your host for this podcast. I'm glad you're back for another interview. I'd like to let you know that this podcast is made possible by the generous support of my new co-sponsor, Messina Covers. David and Erica design and deliver both high-quality customer service and products, both standard and custom. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And Messina is spelled M-E-S-S-I-N-A-C-O-V-E-R-S. They offer their support through Patreon. Patreon is a funding platform where you can offer your financial support to this podcast, and your help will go towards hosting, production, and marketing fees. There are several tiers of support offered, and you can check out how you'd like to support this podcast at www.patreon.com slash studiohfl, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can also offer support by providing comments and a rating on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. If you'd like to receive news regarding interviews, new guests, access to Studio HFL merchandise, please subscribe to the newsletter by going to www.powellmusic.net and click on the subscribe to newsletter link. And of course, Powell Music, P-O-W-E-L-L-M-U-S-I-C dot net. And now, on with the interview. What do you play? You play trumpet, right? I play the trumpet. Uh, usually, you know. Usually. Yeah, sometimes I, uh, it plays me. Okay, so we're good. We're going. And I've been, I've been joking with everybody. I have yet to put an explicit rating on this. <laughs> oh, I'll be the first. So, yeah, that's what everybody else says, too. <laughs> oh, I'll be the first one. It was really funny. Uh, Roger Ingram, man, he was great. I am going to have to edit this out now. But we were fine through the interview, and then I turned it off, and then he just swore up a storm, man. We're talking this. It was a hang at his house for a couple hours after that, and it was just, what, but what a great guy. I don't know if you know Roger or... Uh, we met briefly. I know you've had a couple lessons with him. Yeah. Oh, my cool. gosh. And, you know, I mean, the guy's a legend. I mean, it's like, that's kind of everybody I've been interviewing has is, is been legendary, except for you. Uh, no, I've very and, bottom Well, right. no, and no, no, and, and it's funny I say that, but I'm thinking, you're kind of a legend in the making, because, you know, you're doing some really cool stuff. You've already got a great reputation, and... Uh, you that know, just means and, my and, bribery and, checks are clearing, you know. <laughs> oh, you write checks. That's well That's hard, that's easy to trace though, man. You gotta you gotta start uh, doing this in cash. Yeah, or... Bitcoin's back up, you know, that's that's the new way. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for setting me straight. <laughs> are, are, okay, are you are you kidding? Are you into Bitcoin by any chance? <laughs> into no. Uh, I have some like play money in there, like less than two hundred bucks. Oh, okay. And okay. I just like to see it go up and down. And then one day I'll be like, Oh, I got enough for a new mouthpiece, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> So I've got a friend who's big into Bitcoin and uh, he and his fiance just eloped to Hawaii. And I'm thinking, Bitcoin must have come through pretty well for him. I mean, if he could afford to elope yeah, to Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. If you got out at the right time about two years ago, you could have done real well. And then, um, actually, just today uh, fa- or yesterday, Facebook made an announcement that they're getting into the crypto world. Cryptocurrency and- arbitrage is the, what this guy used, the phrase. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. I don't know what any of that means. It sounds like yeah. we're going to Hawaii. Yeah. It, well, yeah, it must be. must be. Yeah. Wait, we? Is no, well, uh, I don't know. Fun. What are you doing after the podcast? Uh, okay, moving on. <laughs> so, all right, Matt, uh, we played together a couple times here and there, studio stuff, I think, mainly. Yeah. 
Um, but uh, you know, let's let's find out more about yourself. Tell me, what are you doing right now? I mean, you're I know you're traveling, you're playing, but uh, give give us an idea of uh, what you're doing, teaching and playing wise these days. So right now, I I, I mean, I you know, I'm a freelance trumpet player, which. Uh, I genuinely love, you know, I, I, I love the challenge of doing something new and different, uh, sometimes week by week, but usually every day. And, uh, you know, in addition to what that means in the, you know, in the Midwest, uh, you know, being centrally located around a few mid to big size cities, uh, I've got about 40-ish students that I teach year round. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, middle school through college to semi-pro. Oh, I forgot you've got the middle school kid thing. Yeah, middle school, high school. Yeah. Um, I teach about 30 kids a week at that level. And uh, then throughout the school year at Miami University. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, Miami Oxford. University, Oxford, Ohio. Yes. Right. Yeah, not Florida. Yes, That's right. Too far of a commute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so in addition to that... Um, I have the uh, the silencer business, uh, which yeah, how's that going? To talk about, uh, it's going well. Uh, I've got two new, um, pretty good distributors in the U.S. Um, one is Jay Landers Brass in New York, and the other is Trumpet Trader, out in Colorado. Um, you know, web sales are good. Mm -hmm. uh, no complaints. <laughs> so, like Dan Gosling is the chop saver guy. Yeah. Matt Anklin is the silencer guy. Right. Oh, now, see, going back to that conversation a minute ago about bribery, it's like this all takes on a whole new meaning if you think a silencer and bribery. and But it's not that kind of, it's not a suppressor. No. A trumpet suppressor. It's, not at all. All right, so we're, I'm having fun with this. But, um, okay, so maybe some people out there aren't aware of what this thing is. Tell us about the silencer. Sure, yeah. Well, it, so it's kind of an interesting story. I, I um, When I was in college, really for fun money, you know, five bucks here and there, I'd make little practice mutes for my friends, you know. Back when Renews it made air fresheners that were like a real cone shape, um, you know, I, I I would make them and give them to friends or, Wait, or seriously, someone. you would take like, take those apart and make mutes out of those? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so you would, you would, you know, dump all the goop out or put it in a bag or something, and I would just put it on my fridge so it still smelled good. But, uh, you know, dump the goop out, and then uh, there was a little part in the end that you had to pull out and drill a hole through, and then either use closed cell, uh, like window sealing foam or some cork. Uh, you know, I'd always get the self adhesive stuff, and then, mm -hmm. you know, stick it on there and, and then put the little plug back in the end. And you can pull that little plug in or out to adjust how open or mm -hmm. closed it felt in your horn. And anyway, um, I would make those, give them to friends. And uh, I was on the phone with my then fiance, now wife, and I was drilling a hole through one of one of these little uh, ends. And I don't know why I was goofing around. I, I stuck it in the end of my Harmon mute. And, and played, and it was kind of quiet. And I said, oh, "I gotta go." I, I just had this light bulb moment, yeah. and I got some masking tape and like made the end of this thing fat enough that it would stick it and hold itself into the mm -hmm. 
into the end of the Harmon mute, and uh, it was not terrible. It was it was actually a pretty decent playing, mm -hmm. sort of a practice mute type of thing. And uh, I made another version of it out of my own plastic and a, used a bench grinder and a drill and all kinds of stuff. And actually toured with that. I, I did a couple of contracts on cruise ships and did a Broadway show and ended up um, as a guest artist at Northern Kentucky University. Uh, the other guys on that were Vince DiMartino and Brad Good and Scott Belk and myself and it was like a big trumpet summit thing and mm -hmm. um, I was warming up and Vince goes, eh, you should make that, you know. <laughs> and uh, I thought, okay, well, Vince thinks it's pretty cool. You know, maybe we're on to something here. And uh, I did a tour, uh, a first national tour of Sister Act, a Broadway show, and um, handed the lead book off to Paul Barron, and I played second for a couple of weeks um, when I was getting off the tour. And he goes, ah, that's pretty cool. You should make that. Like, okay, fine. So I took it to Peter Pickett down in uh, Lexington, mm -hmm. and he's got a, a real strong background in engineering, working for Lexmark for a lot of years. Mm -hmm. And of course, he's got all the great machines and, and all the great connections in the music industry. And, uh, and we scienced the heck out of that thing, getting the length just right, figuring out uh, when I say we, and I really mean Peter, but, um, <laughs> you know, really, he really um, made it into um, a, a real viable product. Um, we experimented with some different types of materials, uh, different kinds of plastics, um, brass, and we settled on aluminum. Mm -hmm. uh, it's easy to machine, and, mm -hmm. and it's uh, super lightweight. It's, and, uh, it's the world's smallest practice mute, right? Because it simply goes in, it, you insert it in the end of your Harman mute. That's right, yeah. Um, it, it's uh, maybe an inch and a quarter, maybe an inch and, inch and a half at mm -hmm. the most uh, in length and uh, less than half an inch in diameter. So how many have you sold? Just curious. Oh, goodness. Um, maybe 1,500 or so at this point. Holy cow! Yeah, yeah it's, it's that's doing, impressive, man. It's doing great. Have, you need to go Shark Tank this, right? No, <laughs> I, I watch that show. No. <laughs> what you don't want to get shot down by? Uh, well, they, they'd know. say, well, so so tell me about your market. Well, you know, it's to a certain type of trumpet player yeah. that owns a mute that you don't usually get till later in high school, and well, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have any other applications, right? I mean, you can't use it for, you know. You can't put it in your car. You can't. Uh, well, I mean, you could. My cats love playing with them. <laughs> what? Knock them off the table. And <laughs> They'll such. knock them off the table. <laughs> I'll wake up and you know step on one. I didn't put that there. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, uh, that's their version of Legos. Yeah, no kidding. Stepping on those. Well, that's pretty cool. I had no idea, and you'd you'd sold that many units. That's uh, very cool. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's always great. Um, you know, I I, I said back in 2016 when I launched it. Um, I don't really know what I'm doing here. I've never started my own business before. And uh, I think it's cool. A couple of my friends think it's cool. If it helps somebody, 
you know, if one person out there kind of digs it. Okay, so when then... you say it helps somebody, you think about a practice meet. Who does it help? It helps the people not playing the trumpet. <laughs> That's right. right? <laughs> <laughs> I love that uh, that far side where you know the the wife's on the phone and says it's the neighbors. They say you're <laughs> technically <Right>. proficient. <laughs> so I got a question about the name though, the silencer. Sure. It should have been the anklinizer. Uh, or the anklimator. <laughs> well, um, and this is why I'm not in marketing. Yes, you know, because I have ideas. They're horrible ideas, but I have ideas, you know. So, um, I actually, I, I wanted to change the name a couple of years ago. Um, you know, the silencer, a silencer is a very generic name for mm -hmm. a mute, right? If you just type silencer into Google, you'll find a whole bunch of, Mutes you didn't even know existed, mm. but um, I thought the the first one that I, I was introducing was sort of like a matte black. Mm. Um, it, they're they're anodized and and, and colored it's the same way your iPhone is. They get this nice powder coat, and um, I don't know. I thought it kind of had this this interesting look, and it made it quiet. You know, mm. it's kind of a stealth thing. The silencer, mm. and then I could come up with. All kinds of interesting marketing ideas and graphic things that never really came to fruition, but um, yeah, it kind of worked in my head, and I don't know people kind of thought it was a cool name. So where you can where can you get this? You said you had a couple distributors. Yeah, uh, so um, Austin Custom Brass, uh, Rich Ida, um, uh, Jay Landris Brass, uh, Trumpet Trader, uh, Horn Trader. Um, you can. There's a couple of places in Europe you can get it. Uh, I think there's even a distributor in China. Um, it's all. It's all over the world. It's. It's great. Mm -hmm. it's Is really anybody going to have it at uh, the Miami ITG? Uh, depending on who's there, uh, I, I know Powell Trumpets will have a few. Mm -hmm. um, so they can go. Can they try these out, or do they need to buy it and then? Uh, so that I always send a few display. Mm -hmm. uh, things, but you know, I, I usually send it down with a couple of Harman mutes. Um, I'll send a Joe Rawl, a Harman brand, you mm -hmm. know, just you know the typical ones that a lot of people mm -hmm. tend to carry. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sending my Zinger down. <laughs> I need that yeah. one, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So uh, you know, people are welcome to try it um, in, in a big noisy room like that. It's, it's always difficult to try, uh, you know, to get an impression of how quiet it truly is. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and how, as opposed to other practice mutes, it does give you a sense of your own resonance. It gives you a little bit of that um, trumpet sound, in a way. Um, it still has a, uh, for lack of better words, like a metallic resonance to it. Mm, um, practice mutes, I think, part of what led me to this, let's back up a little bit, Part of what led me to this is the practice mutes that were available at the time had a tendency to compress your octave. So your upper register would be real flat, lower register would be real sharp. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times they, they end up being way too quiet, which leads to other issues of overblowing mm -hmm. so that you can hear yourself mm -hmm. or... Um, or the resistance, you know, it's going to affect the way that you blow once you take the mute out. And... Absolutely. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I'd warm up in the hotel room or, or wherever and, and then go to the stage and 
missed the first 20 notes I was trying to play mm -hmm. <laughs> just mm -hmm. because of uh, that change in feel. Mm -hmm. And so to me, the practice mute just needed to be quiet enough that I'm not going to bother the person in the next room mm -hmm. or, you know, if someone's got the TV on, I, I can play. Mm -hmm. um, but I still wanted to get a sense of my musicality. Mm -hmm. I wanted the pitch to be right. I wanted, you know, I wanted to be able to practice double tonguing if I had to. And uh, again, through Peter's very generous help, I, I think we, we got it. That's cool. Yeah. So here you are, a trumpet player and an entrepreneur. I mean, could you imagine yourself doing this, you know, however many years ago, thinking you were going to be at this stage doing this? Absolutely sort of not. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, but um, I've always kind of been, you know, a little scrappy. Uh, again, being in this area, um, we've always had to kind of make our own way. Mm -hmm. There's. A number of good regional orchestras, mm -hmm. and then there's, uh, you know, a bit of a studio scene, as as you mentioned, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, the jobbing band thing is alive and well. Mm -hmm. um, but there's only so much of that you can do in a week, right? And you still have to make up the difference. And mm -hmm. I think getting into business was a very natural progression for me. You're asking good questions. I've never really thought about this stuff. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. Well, yeah. uh, can you put that in writing that I asked uh, good questions? It's Absolutely. Just, well, it's, it's been kind of fun. You know, it's funny. When I first started doing the interviews, I had this list of like 10, 12, 15 questions that I sent out to my first five, uh, I almost said victims, my first five uh, <laughs> uh, interviewees. And uh, at the very first interview, I abandoned everything completely. And I just, we just started having a conversation. You know, and I'm thinking this is really the way to do it. It's just, you know, follow. I mean, what's interesting? It's like, holy cow, this is interesting. Yeah. You know, the the lineage, the the genesis of this practice mute. Now, somebody else out there is going, oh, please get on with something else. You know, <laughs> sure. this is the most boring stuff on the face of the earth. But you know what? <laughs> We're trumpet nerds. This is fascinating stuff to us. You know. Well, I th this has actually been uh, pretty interesting. You know, people have seen the little. The little kind of success I've had with it, and you know, I won't throw anyone under the bus here, but I got a phone call from a former trombone player with the National, or uh, I have an edit point here, unedit. Okay, and we're back. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I got uh, a phone call from a tr former trombone player with the Empire Brass who had a um, interesting mouthpiece idea. And he wanted to know about the patent process or how to get trademarks and all this kind of stuff. And, and um, you know, we had a nice long talk about it. And uh, I don't know if his idea came to fruition or whatever, but it seemed helpful. And, and, and again, working through, um, you know, some of the different things I, I've had to do here, like, you know, create a vendor pack. I didn't even know what a vendor pack was a year and a half ago. Um, so I had, to, I had to create one. And... Uh, I helped another friend of mine um, start a leather business who he makes these really great uh, leather mouthpiece pouches, guitar straps, bass quivers, all kinds of different things and and he needed a vendor pack and so I said, all right no I, I know what this is <laughs> <laughs> and uh, after um, he made his first batch, he debuted at Midwest uh, with Carl Hammond mouthpieces and I mean, he just exploded on the scene 
That's uh, FridayCreekLeather.com. Yeah, okay, <laughs> wants good. to check those no, out. No, that's uh, shameless plugs are welcome on here. That's good. You're that's welcome, good. Noah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's you know you think about uh, when you say you're a freelance trumpet player. Well, I have to play B flat and C and flugel and piccolo, and you know I have to be able to play lead or blow some jazz on the second book or oh, and now I have to be. Uh, a creator and now I have to be <laughs> you know be savvy with uh, all this other stuff I mean that's that's a pretty broad well you, you're wearing a lot more hats than just uh, the trumpet style hats that you sure. think of um, okay so let's go back to, to playing trumpet yeah um, and just to let everybody know this this interview is taking place at Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music is that did I put too many C's in there no, you nailed it and yeah. uh, did you go to school here? I did. For master's, doctorate? Uh, undergrad and master's. Undergrad and master's. Yeah. And you studied with who while you were here? Oh gosh, my tail is long and winding. <laughs> uh, when I first came to school here, um, I, I came in actually as a classical trumpet major. Um, and, and it actually would have been my junior year of my undergrad when I transferred here. Mm -hmm. um, and I came in... Uh, from where? Where did you transfer in from? So I, I, the first college I went to was Sinclair Community College in Dayton. Um, I had actually, in high school, auditioned for a army band. I, I, I auditioned and got into the Old Guard Corps, which is the, oh. the Whig band. Yeah. And um, uh, this was 2001. And in September of 2001, uh, our world changed. Yeah, something major happened, absolutely. Absolutely, and uh, they basically said that um, there was a issue with an EKG, with a heart readout, um, and they weren't going to take me because I, was, I seemed to be high risk. Wow. Uh, and I had multiple letters from my cardiologist saying, there's nothing wrong with this guy, please just take him, it's fine. Mm -hmm. And well, they, they said no. So um, I end up at this community college, which was for an 18-year-old trumpet player, a very unexpected, very cool thing. Um, I was sitting in bands with semi-pro musicians, band directors, uh, you know, area teachers. Mm -hmm. It was a good band, and uh, you know the. French hornist that sat in front of me said, "Hey, you pretty, you sound pretty good. Can you come and play first trumpet on the musical at my high school? And hey, can you sub on this dance band gig at the park? You know, can you?" And before you know it, I was working all over town, getting these opportunities that I, I believe, probably wouldn't have existed if I was in a more traditional kind of school. Okay. One of those gigs was a Easter brass quintet gig with Alan Siebert, who's the classical trumpet teacher here at CCM. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm going to Sinclair. He said, well, I'll come down to CCM. And I said, uh, okay. <laughs> Twist yeah, my so arm. Cool that. Yeah. So we came and, and uh, auditioned, and I said, you know, I, th I, I think I would really like to be in the jazz band, too. It wasn't something I had done a lot of. Mm -hmm. And uh, they happened to be having jazz band auditions, and so I went down, and um, Brad Good met me in the hallway, and said, well, what, what do you do? Do you play lead or jazz? And I said, neither. <laughs> and I said, wow. I, I, in the past, I, I have played some lead trumpet. Mm -hmm. um, he said, okay, well, let's, 
prepare a couple of tunes and, and come back in a half hour and we'll do those tunes and then we'll have you sight read. And mm -hmm. um, a couple weeks later, I had a scholarship notice to study jazz at That's CCM. Awesome. So uh, money talks. <laughs> I, yeah. I, you know, I, it was the first time I really had to deal with um, some serious financial aid mm -hmm. and, uh, and we, we went where the money was and uh, it ruined my life. Uh, no, no, it did not. <laughs> so a quick, quick side note. Uh, Brad and I went to school together at UK. Oh, great. Um, he was better than me. <laughs> anyway, he's I, he's it, better than everyone. <laughs> and, and Rob Parton was part of that class. They were, they were like two and three years ahead of me at, at that point. But uh, Al Hood was part of that group too, man. It was just a, it was a monster, monster class. Yeah. So, okay, you transfer to uh, CCM. Playing opportunities didn't dry up, right? I mean, you might have been gigging elsewhere, but I mean, you're... You're still getting those opportunities here, right? Yeah, a, a little bit. Um, now I was I was trying to be a jazz player. You know, I I I was always a pretty good trumpet player, but I had I had a lot of learning to do on the music side of things. Mm -hmm. um, thankfully, there was a really great um, hang here back then. Uh, There'd be all these late night jam sessions down in the recording studio. There were a lot of clubs. Right outside of the school, there's a bunch of restaurants. And when I, when I first came to school here, it was a whole different strip. And there were a couple of places to play um, almost nightly, it seemed like. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were a few clubs downtown. And so we'd you know, go to jam sessions, and I'd, I'd learn a tune a week, and I, I'd, I'd go out and play that tune. and do my best and uh, I ended up starting a band um, and we had a, uh, a steady uh, two night a week thing at the Bearcat Lounge over Just at like the... Just like a quartet, quintet? It was a quintet, yeah. yeah. And uh, two of those guys are some of the heaviest players in LA and the bass player in that band mm -hmm. is, uh, mm -hmm. is the bass teacher here at CCM now and uh, we've all gone on to do pretty cool mm -hmm. and interesting things with our careers, so it's kind of fun watching all those people blossom and grow in that way. Did you keep that band all the way through your masters? Were you guys? It was about a year that we did year. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, I ended up going out and doing some cruise ship tours and some other things. And what lines uh, did you play on? Just Carnival. Yeah. Yeah. Well, say just Carnival, but there's Carnival UK, and there's Carnival uh, Caribbean, US. Well, so with and Carnival UK owns uh, uh, Cunard and PNO. Right. Yeah, I think they own almost thirty different cruise lines. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I played for Carnival. All the, the ships I did were all based out of the U.S., but I got to do Caribbean, um, Mexico, and Central America, um, both uh, Pacific and Atlantic sides, um, Hawaii, Alaska. You know, to someone who was 21, 22 years old, amazing. Mm -hmm. And such a, a clean and wholesome life aboard the cruise ship, isn't it? Have you ever done that gig? <laughs> I've, I've, you know what? I, I totaled up my ship contracts. I've done, I've spent a year of my life at sea. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, anything you want is there. And, and most it, of the stuff you don't want. And, and then there's there. penicillin for that stuff, right? <laughs> right. Uh, I may have to edit that part out right there. You probably might. Well. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> no, it, you know, it, 
I had a real interesting, and I, I think different than most of the people I was working with, view of what the job was. I got to learn more about being a commercial trumpet player. Mm. Um, I was sitting in bands with people that were uh, with Tex Beneke, Andrew Ferguson, uh, Buddy Rich, uh, you know, and I, I'd sit down with Roger Homefield, a, a real good trombone player, and say, man, tell me about your time with, with Harry James or with, with, with Maynard or, you know, <laughs> what was it like, you know, you know talking with Danny Brock, what was it like when Greg, Greg Wing was playing lead trumpet in the Buddy Rich band, you know, that, what was it like, you know, in the band at that time, you know? He'd tell me some great stories, and uh, you know, to get a window into that world that almost doesn't exist anymore. I say almost because you know the Miller Band is out still playing around the mm -hmm. world, and um, you know, but you don't graduate from college and, and then go on the road anymore. It's not a, not really that big of a thing. Mm -hmm. So for me, just to get a window into that world. And then to sit on the bandstand with them and and play Buddy Rich charts, or to play uh, you know Tuxedo Junction, or you know like what you know any anything that was in the book. How does it sound when those guys play it? Mm -hmm. And what started to happen was when I come home, I'd play with some more of the veteran players, and they go, "Oh, you sound like you get it," and that would spur more opportunities and and. Uh, you know, it's just a, such an interesting thing. So aside from that, you know, understanding that it's a show band, you know, we're, we're, I'm not, you know, creating the next Dave Douglas moment on the bandstand, you know, or I'm not like reinventing jazz as we go. I'm playing a show. Yeah. And my job is to be the trumpet player on the show. That's my character. That's totally my utilitarian, right? I mean, yeah. It's just... But when I wake up tomorrow... I get to go and drive an ATV in Mexico, yeah. or I get to go and, and do the sled dog thing up in Alaska, or when I wake up tomorrow, I'm going to be in Martinique. <laughs> that, that was great. Welcome to the middle of the episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is brought to you with the support of Messina Covers. They offer some standard and custom designs of trumpet bags, mouthpiece pouches, and more, and their customer service is excellent. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And now, back to the interview. Um, it's funny, your experiences with players on cruise ships is very different than mine. <laughs> um, we had uh, instrument holders in some of our bands, and maybe you've encountered some of those too. You to know, an but, extent, yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I tried to make the most of what I was doing while I was there, and um, you know, it can be a grind, uh, and other people out there that have done the, you say, okay, say a grind, and then people ask me, it's like, so what was your day like? Well, 45-minute rehearsal <laughs> and then two shows at night. Yeah, and, no, that's it. So, but you're still away, you're away. Yeah. And you're limited. It's not like you've got complete autonomy on things, but, uh, okay, so... You did the cruise ship thing. You learned some style. You came back. Yeah. Uh, is Cincinnati home for you? It is now. Yeah? Yeah. My wife's from here, and without her, I'd be homeless. So she says we live here now, so I live here now. You know? So, uh, <laughs> and, and earlier you mentioned, you know, kind of in the Midwest and all the regional cities, Columbus, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, 
uh, Chicago, Lexington. Yeah. I mean, you you kind of make the big circuit uh, through all those and more. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, what do you get called most for these days? Um, probably pops playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically lead trumpet. Specifically, yeah. 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 Um, you know, I, I, I can do it all, um, you know, within varying degrees of success, but um, I, I, I think I get either thought of or called for uh, lead trumpet first. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems to be an equal, well, no, and, and, then, and then classical section work next, and, mm-hmm. and, then, um, and then as a jazz improviser, I think, last. And uh, my favorite things to do aren't always in that order. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. but, you know, that's where the, where the work is. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, I don't really care what it is that I'm playing. I just, I love to play the trumpet. Yeah. You know, and I, as Vince put it one time, parts is parts. You know, yeah, I, right, right. I'm, I'm just as happy playing third in an orchestra as I am leading a big yeah. band. You know. Well, last time I saw you, it was at uh, Ohio Music Educators Conference. Yeah. And uh, you were playing with, uh, was it Allstate Orchestra or band or some high school group, and you were doing some, what was the big piece you I were playing I did the American Jazz Suite by Alan Vizzuti. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you completely folded on that, right? Totally, yeah. No, no, I, I, remember, I remember people coming up to you the morning after the performance and, you know, like, oh, you know, Mr. Anklin or Matt or whatever it was. I mean, you, you put on a pretty good show, I heard. It went really well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, was, uh, that was a really so fun... So that, that's even as a soloist. So not just going out and doing, you know, section stuff, playing lead or the jazz book. I mean, that's an opportunity to stand up in front of everybody and play. Absolutely, yeah. So, so going back to the business side of things, here, here's a tip for anyone who might be listening still. Um, <laughs> listening still. Yeah. Uh, band programs have a budget. They have to spend their budget. You know, they get to the end of the year, and sometimes they have 400, 500 bucks sitting around. So make a phone call to a couple of your friends that are band directors and say, hey, do you have anything in your budget that you need to get rid of? Mm-hmm. I'll come out for a day. I'll do a trumpet master class, rehearse with the band, and I'll play with you on a concert. And they're happy to get rid of their budget, mm-hmm. and I'm happy to take their money. And but it's a great experience for everybody all around. It really is, yeah. I mean, how often do I get to play a piece like that? Well, not very often. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, we had a really good experience uh, on the master class side of things mm-hmm. uh, and uh, of course we got to play out of town in Cleveland together which was really fun for everyone mm-hmm. yeah um, you know I've done that I've done you know the Artunian and the Del Stegers Carnival of Venice and a few other things mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have a, a chart on the um, the Carmen fantasy I have uh, I've got all the band parts and Itching to do that one. Somewhere. Oh, see, now when you said that, I was thinking about the Sergei uh, arrangement, which is like, you know, the actual violin part. Oh. <laughs> it's insane. I bought that and I looked at it. I thought, oh no, in, in my wildest dreams, I'd be able to get through that. But uh, um, so I want to go back just a little bit, talk a little bit about uh, teachers and teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, Al Siebert here at CCM. Did you study with anybody else while you were here? Well, I actually, I. We, we had a lesson or two, um, Siebert and I, um, but primarily while I was here, my teacher was Brad Good, mm-hmm. and then I left, and at the end of that year, 
Brad went to Colorado. Mm -hmm. um, when I came back, well, okay, I, I went to Moorhead State University for three years. Mm -hmm. um, Greg Wing was the trumpet professor there, mm -hmm. is the trumpet professor there. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a really important, really formative time for me, um, studying with him. Uh, he's, a, he's a guy who, of course, was on Buddy Rich's band, as I mentioned earlier, was with Tom Jones and Paul Anka and Luciano Pavarotti and played in you know the relief band in Las Vegas among other uh, things for 25 years uh, this guy's done it all um, and to be where I am today without him I think would be almost impossible mm -hmm. so uh, big debt of gratitude to him mm -hmm. uh, when I came back to school here at CCM uh, Kim Pencil was the trumpet teacher and that really opened um, opened my ears up in a different way to jazz improvisation um, and, and I worked with Kim for uh, I think it was a, a year mm -hmm. and then at that time Rick Van Mater retired and uh, Scott Belk took over as the head of the jazz department mm -hmm. and uh, and then for the last year of my undergrad and the only year of my master's I, I did my master's degree in one year show off yeah yeah, and I, I had some help from the school here because they, they said, okay, well, some of these classes, you know, carry okay, over right, sure, and whatever, sure. but um, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't an easy year, though. It was, it, yeah. you know, we worked. Yeah. Um, but for, for two years, uh, I, I was in Scott's studio, and uh, yeah, that's, that's, mm -hmm. that's everyone. Um, what about early on? First uh, trumpet teacher in middle school or high school? What about that? Yeah, so my first teacher was my band director, a guy named Steve Parks, and he, he was a euphonium player. And I think that was profoundly important because hearing his sound in the room, hearing the, the euphonium in, in, in the room just had this huge sonorous sound. And then I would try to match whatever scale or, or, or etude he was playing and try to get that same big sound and it really I think it really affected the way that I would take a breath and blow through the trumpet mm -hmm. and um, you know we got to a point where it was like all right you, you need to stay with the trumpet teacher and yeah, but you, you know I mean, let me interject something this is something I tell my students uh, music ed students who are gonna go on I said you need to keep your horn uh, at the front of the room and play for your students all the time because I exactly what you just described modeling it doesn't matter if you can demonstrate a beautiful sound and musicality you know the flute player is going to hear that and pick that up I mean the opportunity even for a percussionist to pick that up I mean modeling your euphonium playing teacher modeled for you that was huge absolutely right absolutely it, yeah. regardless of the fact you were playing trumpet he was playing euphonium yeah so. it, it was it was all about hearing that great sound and, mm -hmm. and oh my gosh not everyone sounds like a mosquito when they play the trumpet yeah, <laughs> yeah no that, that that changed I think it changed the way I think about brass playing profoundly mm -hmm. you know as a 12 year old um, so he said yeah you should you should definitely think about t studying with a trumpet player and there was this guy in town uh, named Mark Wilcox 
And um, I believe it was Carl Sievers who said, um, yeah, you should, you should really get with this guy. And um, he had played with Aretha Franklin and, and was, you know, subbing with the Dayton Phil and, and was a good jazz player. And again, he, he, was, he was one of those do-all trumpet player mm-hmm. types. Mm-hmm. And uh, I studied with him from seventh or eighth grade, I think, through my sophomore year of college because mm-hmm. he was the trumpet teacher at that community college. Oh. And um, what a great, you know, very steady and, and, and very um, you know, consistent message. Uh, I, not a single day goes by where I don't think about something that Mark said. Mm-hmm. And I go, oh, that's what he meant. Oh, okay, you know. It, so you, now think about the way you teach. And uh, how, do those, how do those teachers come through? In uh, how you teach, whether it's college at uh, Oxford or or your middle school students, high school students. <clears throat> so the the thing that I think lasts with me the most from Mark is. My demeanor with the students. There was just an, an immediate, approachable quality to to him as a man. Uh, he he was friendly. It didn't matter if I was I was a fifteen year old or 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 if the next guy was you know an adult you know next student or whatever. I think he, there was an equal respect for everyone coming to him. And he wasn't the greatest trumpet player. And, and and he knew that, and and so there was no ego about him mm-hmm. in what he was doing. Um, it was just the mindset of, hey, we're on this path. I'm a little further down the path, and maybe we can look back and see where you are and avoid some of the potholes. <laughs> <laughs> and I, that I think um, is what I strive for every day: is is, is being. Mm-hmm approachable, kind, understanding, equal. A decent human being. Shocker. That's awesome. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, with, uh, you know, all, all of the teachers I've had all have that to some degree. Um, perhaps it was because I studied with Mark for so long that that's what sticks through my head, you know, about him. Um, Greg Wing, um, single-mindedness. I don't mean in, in a dumb way, but focus. Focus. You know, yeah. yeah. Picking, picking a goal, a short-term goal, mm-hmm. but seeing it through, and then that leading you to the next short-term goal. Mm-hmm. And uh, something he said um, in a lesson or or, or master class one day was, um, "What is success?" Well, my definition of success, this is him speaking, mm-hmm. is the achievement of predetermined and worthwhile goals. Mm. The achievement of predetermined and worthwhile goals. And I thought, I can do that. <laughs> yeah, so, so let's lay out a path. Let's lay out, okay, I can, I can do this stone's throw here. 
and stones throw here and and you know whether it's working on uh, you know the next big concerto piece or or, or learning uh, you know the, the Locrian sharp two scale and all keys or you know whatever um, <laughs> it it it's a it's a path to success that that works it, you know and um, with Kim Pencil we would we would go through our, our trumpet you know we'd play some Charlier we you know do some some fundamentals um, but the majority of our lessons were just playing jazz and. I think most of the time, whatever the tune was, I would play first, and then he would play very intentionally in a way to direct how mm -hmm. I improvised. Mm -hmm. So I would play a chorus and, yeah, that was, that was hot, I bet he liked that, you know, and then he would play <laughs> and i go, oh no, I was so wrong. <laughs> and uh, by the end of trading off a few choruses, um, my phrasing, my shaping, my my uh, directionality, uh, my motivic development, um, all kinds of things that were pretty much lost in that first chorus were far better than they ever were. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we would choose exercises, like for instance, on this tune this week, Every four bars play a descending phrase, or okay. Every four bars play an ascending phrase, or choose a point in your chorus where this is the high point. You know, so we're starting to construct solos as compositions, and you know, not that you want to do that on the bandstand all the time. But what it got me doing was thinking more about what I'm presenting to the audience. You know, as I improvise. You know, early on, I really thought, well, not really, but to play a good jazz solo, the clouds had to part and the hand of God had to come down and, you know, bestow this amazing solo on you. I thought it was <laughs> improv, right? I thought it was instantaneous. You know, and of course, you learn very quickly after, no, there's some there's some thought that has to go in. You have to practice Absolutely, uh, improv. Yeah. You know, it's a, it was a very uh, eye-opening uh, moment for me when I finally realized that, but... Um, so that's, uh, these are things, the techniques that I'm imagining you now use in your own teaching studio. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you were done. I mean, if you've got other things to, with about other teachers that you're going to mention, oh, I, I could, interrupted you, but. Yeah, you know, I could glow about Scott, um, and, uh, and, and I, 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 I got my first couple of lessons with Scott when I was a teenager, Scott Belk. <laughs> And uh, he, he was the best lead trumpet player in Dayton, Ohio. He was with the Air Force back then. And um, I just wanted to know what this guy was all about. Um, and uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't ready for what he had to offer at that time. I wanted to know about playing high notes. And he wanted to work on uh, you know, violin lip flexibilities, and I, you know, I think there was a, <laughs> a little bit of a. Now that provides insight right there, and in why he wrote his own book, because violin's freakishly difficult. 
Yeah. Right? So let's write something easier. And I think both of his books are way easier than Violin. Don't you dare tell him I said that. Uh, okay. No, <laughs> You're going to have to edit that out. I'm totally kidding. No, no, no. So, in fact, I'm interviewing him this morning right after, right. Right after this. So we're, we're going to get into that a bit. Uh, it was that same joke. It wasn't a joke. But, yeah. Um, yeah, no, uh, Scott is he's an absolute genius. I, I, if you ever have a chance to hear him perform, listeners, um, you're really in for a treat. A uh, guy plays more horn than anyone, anyone, anywhere. And, and, and going back, you know, 20, 25 years ago in Dayton, he was, he was it. Mm-hmm. He was, he was mm-hmm. the hottest lead player in town and, and uh, uh, could also tear it up on the bandstand in, in a small group setting and uh, I wanted to know what he was about. Um, and, uh, you know, coming back a little bit more mature, uh, a lot lot more mature, um, almost mm. 15 years later, when Scott took over as the, um, as the head of the department at CCM uh, and getting to be a student, he was basically on, you know, it was the same sort of lesson just, you know, Scott had fully formed into mm-hmm. where he is now with these, you know, these great flexibilities and he's so much more further developed as a jazz player and um, it's, you know, it's just really profoundly cool mm-hmm. to see a person mm-hmm. grow like that. Um, and uh, Vince DiMartino as well. When I was in Kentucky going to Moorhead uh, with Greg Wing, I would playing Vince's big band and show oh, the, up. Uh, the Miles Oslin, yeah, that one? Dojo, yeah. Dojo. Um, I would try to get to the club hour and a half before the hit or so because I knew Vince would be there because he always brings his monitor, his microphone, and he gets there and he works, works through the set list and warms up. Mm-hmm. And I got to be a fly on the wall and watch Vince warm up for a gig by myself <laughs> in a room with him you know, that opportunity doesn't exist all the time, you know, and so I'd watch him put the mouthpiece on in his way, you know, he sets it and yep. really screws it in and, you know, watch him take a breath and, and then this amazing thing happens, you know, this, this, this great sound and his unbelievable technique mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, a direct correlation between what, I got to witness Vince do for himself what Brad Good would teach in lessons and and working with Scott. It all kind of came together in a pretty cool way that complemented um, a lot of the Bill Adams side that I grew up with. Um, I'm a very analytical person by nature and it provided I think some of the answers that I was always seeking, you know, in a verbal form. Uh, you talked about different learning styles in a different podcast, and I'm very much a. Um, you have to show me, and then I have to talk it out, mm-hmm. sort of a person. I, I'm. I'm not that way as a teacher, but for me, that's that's how I. That's interesting. Well, that you can do it one way but I can see it's like taking a toaster apart to know how it works but then you're just showing somebody how to use the toaster exactly right I'm totally stealing that 
but that's dead right. Yeah, and I, I used to talk it out with students. And then they would look at me with this confused deer in headlights <laughs> thing. Yeah, and yeah. and and I go, okay, I got to make a change here. And um, as my teaching style has developed, it's it's really it's really been about the simple stuff. The air goes through the small hole. The noise goes out the big hole. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and there's a lot of confusing things out there that. That really get away from that, but but fundamentally, that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to understand what our sound is in the context, in the musical context. Mm-hmm. We have to understand what that sound is supposed to be, and then we have to behave in a way as a player that allows our tool to do the job. Mm-hmm. That's I, I'm totally. I'm going to make so many posters out of the <laughs> stuff that you just shared with that. That, that is great stuff. Um, you know, and I think about the names that you, you mentioned, and I know you're not name-dropping. I mean, you've had some great uh, opportunities to be associated and to learn from and to play with some terrific people. Been really fortunate. You've paid attention, and it's made you the player that you are. I mean, other people might have had those same opportunities, but if they're eh, just kind of along for the ride, right, they're going to miss those opportunities. So there's that, you know, when you say Greg was single-minded focused, you know, there's that thing where when you've got that opportunity to stay focused and and learn. You know, I think about, um, I was a student of Vinny's. Yeah. And when he had his big studio at UK, I would wait in the stairwell outside the studio and just listen to him practice. I mean, that 10 or 15 minutes before my lesson was a lesson in itself because you just heard him tear up Brant. You know, the first <laughs> totally. time I ever heard him yeah. was Brant number six. Right? At tempo. My gosh. <laughs> it was insane. You know, and then you go in and, and, and Vinny, and I'll tell him this, I mean, I still think he's one of the greatest uh, trumpet players, humanitarians on the face. And one of the most encouraging. Better. Well, and that's, a, that's another thing, right, is it's, he's always trying to make himself better, learn something new, but also encouraging everybody else around him uh, to do the same thing. And, uh, you know, you're, I hear you talk about, with great respect and reverence, uh, the people that you studied with. Um, you know, that, hopefully your students are going to see that in you. And hopefully if anybody, any of those become teachers at some point, you know, it's, it's a legacy. Right, yeah. that you're you're hoping a good legacy you're hoping to create, and I think right passing uh, the torch. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, you know, I, I realize most of the people that I teach aren't going to be trumpet players, and so you know, well, isn't that a hard realization to come to? First of all, when you first start teaching, right? <laughs> it's like you want to change the world. Everybody's going to come out of my studio being the next. Uh, yeah. Well, for and, me it and, was that way, but and you know it's 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 funny because I I always wanted all of my students to be me. You know, I play ten hours a day. Why don't you? <laughs> 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 not yeah. joking. You know, and uh, I and that's just not that's not a, a reality that exists. You know, and I don't I don't have a job at a at an institute like CCM or or you know a, a real performance minded uh, institution. I I don't, at Miami, I don't distinguish between ed majors and performance majors. 
you're here studying trumpet with me. We're gonna we're gonna do this and we're gonna do it right. Um, but uh, you know, most of my students aren't at Miami. They're out in the community, and if I can cultivate a good person, one, um, you know, we we do work on the ladies and gentlemen thing quite a lot. Um, <laughs> two, if I can cultivate a lover of music. And three, maybe a good trumpet player. Mm -hmm. Then we're off to a pretty good start to our community. Mm -hmm. You know, that person may go to school for biomedical engineering, or they may go to school for law or architecture or whatever. And what's going to happen is they're going to end up in whatever community they do as a lover of music. We need people to go to concerts. <laughs> we need people to buy tickets. And if my legacy is that I create lovers of music mm -hmm. as much as trumpet players, then I've done well. Along that line, you made me think, uh, I, I've, I've tried to get colleagues of mine and others to stop uh, ignoring the fact that we're in the entertainment business. Oh yeah. Yes, music is good for uh, brain growth and academic this and humanities that, but long and short of it is we're out there to entertain people, right? I, you know, you see where I'm headed with this? Absolutely. Stop apologizing for the fact that our job is to go out and and make people feel something. I was always going to make people happy, but sometimes, you know, we just we want people to feel and enjoy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with creating a, a generation of of people that sees music as entertainment and enjoyment rather than an academic pursuit. Totally. Um, people <clears throat> come to see you and it, it has to be presented a certain way. Uh, they have to be a certain amount entertained either by the music or by you or by both hopefully. Mm -hmm. And for goodness sake, look nice. Just look nice, you know. As a as a jazz player, you know, jazz players are the laziest people on the planet sometimes when it comes to booking a gig and 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 calling a set and just show up, you know, looking like you should be eating in that restaurant or dining at that club or or whatever. Don't wear jeans. Come on, people. Um, it's respect for your audience and for your art. You work really hard at it. Present it well. Sorry. Okay, I, I diverge. But no, I, I like that. Uh, you know, I mean, it's. I think that sometimes what we see is common sense. Oh, it's is not totally common not. sense anymore. No. And you, but and some of those students have to be told, "Hey, comb your hair, tuck your shirt in." You know, and here I am sitting with an untucked shirt and wearing jeans, and now I'm feeling really self-conscious. Thank you. Oh, but I wore a tie. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm making up for both of us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm reading this 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 great book. It, it's um. It's called Laugh. It's about comedy and how it works. So I'm funny now. Uh, it's seen, maybe not. I, maybe I not. totally. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> no. It's I. I'm reading it because along the same point, um, comedians get up in front of an audience and there's an immediate expectation. Hmm. They're funny, right? You go to see a comedian because you want to laugh. Mm -hmm. Well, comedians bomb sometimes. So how can a person get in front of an audience 
and work through some of their issues. As a musician, we get on stage and things don't always go right. You know, so I'm, I'm hoping, I'm only a couple pages into this book, but I'm hoping, you know, maybe there's some insight there. But, you know, being in front of an audience and performing and, and delivering in a certain way is an art form in itself. And I think that could be, you know, the next great exploration in, in our industry. You know, audience, audiences are dwindling across the board in, in every, every genre. There are so many options, right? It's overwhelming. It can be overwhelming. Um, do you like to break down the fourth wall when you perform, when you have that opportunity? Do you, or are you kind of walk out, take your bow, play, and then go home? I'm, you wouldn't know it by the way that I play, but I'm, I'm actually pretty introverted. One-on-one, <laughs> uh, -on -one, I, you know, I, I get along great with people, but, you know, you, you start putting up that, uh, you know, the, the, the audience gets real big, and, and, and then I, I start getting kind of more into myself and into the band. Um, occasionally, if it's a smaller audience, I, I'll make eye contact, you know, mm -hmm. I, I'll joke around with the audience on the microphone a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I'm a trumpet player. I'm totally happy being in the back row and wearing all black and not being seen. And, yeah. <laughs> but yet, you got up and played the Vizzuti piece in front of, I imagine, you know, several hundred, maybe a thousand or about, more people, right? 500 people there, I think, yeah. I mean, that's not exactly, and first of all, you, I, I, I find it always... Uh, Ironic that introverts become trumpet players. <laughs> look at me, don't look at me, look at me, don't look at me, look at me. But it only has three buttons. It has to be easy, right? How easy yeah. could it be? Um, yeah, I. Um, it, it's fun, you know, and it, it's easy to get lost in the music. And on something like that, um, like the Vizzuti piece you, you know there, there's so much going on you know low low g's and f sharps up to double high c you know the, and and lyrical playing and technical playing and, yeah. and improvising there isn't time to be worried about what the audience is doing <laughs> or what they're thinking you know An interesting perspective you know i I'm, I'm, I, i've never thought about things like that before you know it's i've, I've always had my mind on you know am i am i am i getting through am i you know, I'm, I'm always looking at the audience in situations like that. Too. I, I think, I, I can't remember exactly where this comes from, but um, maybe it was Kenny Werner, or maybe it was some other master class or something I've heard, but the approach that I've adapted to playing music is to play the sound of the missing part. As an improviser or or you know, someone in a band, it like, like I, I try to almost have a like a third person perspective on myself. Like I'm vaguely aware that, yes, I'm holding the trumpet. Yes, I'm blowing through it. I have to be in order to to do it right. But I'm in the headspace of I put my headphones on, and I'm listening to this live music. And what does the missing part sound like? Mm. And I think that's a very non-egotistical way of approaching the moment and of fitting your sound into the ensemble and of finding the pitch, finding the time, finding you know, the phrasing. It, 
really did open my my listening up wider rather than thinking you know in a selfish sort of how do I sound what are they are they gonna like this lick you know <laughs> check me out mm-hmm. um, it really did change to uh, um, music a more music serving uh, state of mind mm-hmm you're too young to be have these deeper thoughts about uh, <laughs> about music and trumpet and and life. I mean, what are you? Twenty two? No, I, mean, <laughs> no, I wish. How old are you? Really? Thirty six. Thirty six. No yeah. way. Thirty six. Man, you know what? When I was your age, I was thirty six. That's crazy. Isn't that funny how that works out? Go on. Uh, all the stuff you shared with us. I, I'm curious. Uh, what goals? You mentioned goals earlier with. Uh, uh, Greg Wing, having you set some short-term goals and maybe long-term. Um, you're a freelancer at this point. Like, give me an idea of little picture, big picture. What do you What do you want to accomplish? Where do you want to be at some point? Uh, at some point, I, I think I'd like to see um, a, a full-time university position in my future. Um, what I'm doing right now, uh, because of the numbers, it, it's really hard to look at things, you know, from a financial perspective. Um, look at backpedaling. You know, a lot of full-time jobs don't pay as well as what I'm, as I'm doing now. And I don't mm-hmm. mean to brag, but it's just the way that it is, and mm-hmm. I'm very fortunate for that. But with what I'm doing right now, there's no exit strategy. <laughs> There's no way out. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's called death. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't want to yeah. teach until I die. But <laughs> I like to get to a certain point and just go fishing for a while. But, um, yeah, I, um, I, I, you know, I'll, I think I'll probably either take some auditions or, 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 or interview for a few different jobs at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll always keep playing. Of course, I, I I can't imagine a day where I'm not. Um, you ever thought about? Uh, well, you did. I'm, I want to edit that question. I was going to service band. You're still young enough, but we hit that early on. And you know, I wonder now though if you know they were to do the EKG or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. if it would be a non-issue. A few years ago, um, an opening with the Falconeers for lead trumpet came up mm-hmm. and I got to the point where I was on the phone with um, the bandmaster there and I said okay all right so before you know we go down this rabbit hole I should make you aware that this came up in the past and he said oh yeah 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 let me look into it I'll make some calls and he called me back and, and said yeah it's gonna be a problem wow yeah but they got a, a real good guy there um, is absolutely tearing it up. So mm-hmm. good for them. Uh, speaking of lead players, I just noticed uh, on Facebook today, 20 years, uh, oh, I just blanked on his name, uh, Air Force man, McDonald. Brian McDonald. Brian yeah. McDonald, 20 years with the Air Force, uh, Airman and Note. Wow. Uh, yeah. It's the best gig in the world. And what a beast. Yeah. And he's right? Still, wow. Just a million bucks. Yeah. Played, and, and then, it's so great. And then uh, Liesl Whitaker, I noticed, you know, she's retiring uh, from uh, Army Blues. Wow. Right? Yeah. You know, but an, again, another beast uh, Absolutely. Of, a, of a player. She spent um, some time in the Cincinnati area. 
Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. She uh, she actually played in the show band at Kings Island. Um, I think at the same time as Rob. I think uh, Rob Parton and, yeah. and and some guys. Uh, maybe they overlapped a year or two. Scott Wentholt was in the area mm -hmm. here for a while doing that. A lot of a lot of great players came through the area mm -hmm. here. So did you ever have to do a gig like that? You know, where you put on uniform or had to wear tights or anything. <laughs> Along that Tights, line. no. Uh, <laughs> actually, um, so I, I lead a corporate band because uh, I need more things to do. Um, we do a lot of... What's uh, the name of the band? Uh, it's River City, uh, which is a, a fairly purposefully generic name because mm -hmm. uh, it could be from anywhere. Um, so that way, you know... When it's near Springfield, right? Near Springfield. It's also near Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, you know... There's a Simpsons reference, you know, because they're... Oh, no, we're from Nor uh, North Haverbrook or Ogdenville. <laughs> we're we're going to get that monorail any day. <laughs> that's, what, that's, gen that's perfect. <laughs> uh, but you were saying. Yeah, so, so we have... Um, we, we, we've got ourselves into the situation where we play, actually play at Kings Island. Uh, it's a six-night-a-week gig, and we don't all play there every night. Um, we can if we choose to, um, but it's uh, for, for those who, who need this option, um, they provide benefits, and it's a steady salary, and it's a you know, few months out of the year where we're not hustling for work, mm -hmm. and uh, we've got a real nice bandstand, and we just play top 40 tunes. Nice. Um, you do any arranging? I try not to. <laughs> yeah, because there again, you've you've already got enough on your plate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah our our piano player is a fabulous composer and arranger. Um, if you've ever watched TV, you've heard his music. Let's just put it that way. He's cool. He's really, really great, mm -hmm. and we're really lucky to have him. A guy named Jeff Smith. Um, mm -hmm. So, is this your band? Like you put it together and you market it and you take care of things, or? Uh, from a business side of things, yes. Um, you know, Jeff, um, he's the musical director, mm -hmm. so he, he is really in charge of, um, you know, what we play, the arrangement of it, and all that. But in terms of, you know, marketing the band, booking the dates, keeping track of personnel, that's that all kind of falls on me. Wow. Yeah. You like doing that sort of thing? I do. I do, actually. Um, I'm also the personnel manager for the Cincinnati Contemporary Jazz Orchestra here in town. I, I play lead trumpet with the group, and um, uh, we operate like an orchestra in that we have a season. You can buy, you can subscribe and buy, you know, tickets for the whole season, mm -hmm. or you can go show by show if you want. Um, and we have a, a set personnel, um, but, you know, occasionally things come up, you know, maybe... You know, so everyone in the band is a pro or and, and a teacher, and uh, you know maybe they've got a college band concert or something that they can't get out of, and um, so I, I, what I have to do for that band is pretty minimal in terms of finding players, but getting information out about attire, about doubles, about um, you know rehearsal schedule and all that right. stuff. It's an hour or two of emailing, mm -hmm. not not too terrible. Emailing, and I remember. The days when you still had to pick up the phone and <laughs> call still people that operate that book, way <laughs> to book the gig, you know. And oh my gosh, I'm, you know, I'm grateful for the way things are these days because whew, that was that was a hard life back then, you know. Oh, and yeah. I'm not talking, you know, like ringing the operator. Hey, Dorothy, put me through to 
you know, I'm not that old. Well, I'm sure but, that existed too. I mean, <laughs> yeah, of course it did. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, I still get phone calls every now and then from a few people. Hey, Matt, uh, can you play November 2021? Like, I don't know, man. <laughs> sure. 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 Yeah. You've got some great experiences uh, and obviously great stuff coming up for you as well. Um, I'm always thrilled to be able to, you know, sit in the whatever section with you and uh, to get to know you. So I, I, I want to thank you for everything you've shared today. I mean, it's... I hope the listeners, I think listeners are really going to enjoy enjoy this one. It's just some really good stuff. Oh, and, thanks. Uh, I hope so, too. Yeah. And, uh, and we can talk more about the bribery stuff uh, once I, I turn off the button here. And, so. <laughs> I'll Matt, bounce a check your way. Yeah, yeah. great. <laughs> I got it. Got it. So, all right. Thanks again. Thank you, Larry. Thank you again for listening to today's interview. I hope you enjoyed your time here, and please come back for more interviews. Be sure to share the news of this podcast with friends and colleagues and give me a rating on whatever platform you get your podcast from. Thanks again to Messina Covers for co-sponsoring this podcast. Don't forget that you too can be a supporter. Check out how at www.patreon.com studiohfl. And one more reminder that you can sign up to receive news via email regarding new episodes, merchandise, and more by going to palmusic.net and clicking on the subscribe to newsletter link. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you come back for more great interviews.